It's Ronnie. And Simone. We're talking to people. And learning things. With Adam from the booth. Hey, yo. What am I doing in here? Ah. You're, tra- you're trapped. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. It's been a summer, and we are we took a break. We got re-energized, and we did our thing, and now we're back to bring you some really incredible stories and people and topics. Mm-hmm. Ronnie, how are you doing? How was your summer? My summer was great. Um, I didn't really think much of it, and then I had a conversation yesterday where someone has been following me on Instagram and noted that I've been to England, I've been to the Yukon, and I've been to Northern BC, and I've been to Lillooet, and I've done a whole bunch of things, and I just took it all for granted. So I'm grateful for that conversation. Yeah, you were all you were you had a very spontaneous summer. Yeah, it was spontaneous. <clears throat> what are the highlights? Did you get drunk and get lost anywhere? No. no. Oh, highlights. I don't getting. I don't get drunk anymore. Oh yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, Ronnie, you're trying to keep up with me. Apparently, yeah. you did pretty good. You made it <laughs> to my did she? detriment. Did she do, did she do well, near the end, it kind of. But I fell off. Yes, yeah, so we had a planning meeting that went awry. And we all tried to keep up with Adam. Yeah. I think we we planned for like a minute and a half and then it was just talking and drinking for the rest. Yeah. I mean, I don't usually drunk text people, but you made me do that oh, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then Ronnie evening of bad decisions. Yes, it was. But that's okay. I didn't have any mint juleps though. We had, um, we had Craig Stout, the beer guy on just before the summer started. And he recommended that the learning from that was that we should have mint juleps. At every barbecue. I didn't have any. Mm. So I'm disappointed in myself for that. Everything else was great. Summer's not over yet, so you can you can probably get one in. What about your know. summer, Adam? Um, summer was pretty good. Uh, I went to uh, Mexico like last week. It was pretty fun. Yeah. All-inclusive. Went with friends for the first time. Usually it's just like a couple thing, like me and Alex will go. But we went with two other couples, and man, it was a blast. It was great. Can you tell them about your um, the amenities? Oh, the amenities. The turndown service? Turndown service. They come in your room and there's a tub on the patio and they'll fill the tub up and like get it all ready to go and put like wine on there. So when you get home, when you get back to the room, you're like, oh, wow. And you hop in the tub. You can look at the views. What? I ordered a pizza. A bathtub? Yeah, it's great. I'll show you. Fill it up. I'll show you pictures later. Fill it up for you. Oh my God. (laughs) That's my dream. I'm telling you. Yeah, a jet tub too. It's jets. <laughs> they ask what temperature you want it set No, at? they just, oh, they, 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 set it. they know what they're doing though. <laughs> they don't need you to tell them how hot the bath should be. Well, it's subjective. How do they know yeah. what I like? You can probably like, worst case, you just empty a bit of it and then put in whatever temp, temp you want. I don't mean this to sound the way it's going to sound, but I feel like Ronnie would be like the one person who'd be like, this tepid water, I'm sure is fine for 90% of the people here, but I would like it about two and a half degrees warmer. That's something else I've learned this summer is that I'm more particular than I thought I was. Interesting. (laughs) How so? It's good to know yourself. Was there a, a specific incident that happened? No, but just like that comment from Simone is like, yeah, I've had a few of those this summer. Uh, somebody is going back to school. Bom, bom. That's me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Couple days, I'll be back at good old Quantlin. Quick recap. Um, maybe starting, I don't know, 2009, I started to, <laughs> my okay, degree. It's called a recap, not yeah. like a full blown. <laughs> that's a recap. Hash. I'm giving you a quick recap. Okay. 2009, I started a degree, and um, I think I got up all the way till. 2014 and I had a couple classes left but I didn't really agree with how the classes were being taught um, because I thought it was BS uh, because they make you kind of sell scholarships and it's like kind of greasy and it it didn't feel good so I said no I'm not going to do this and then just started my own business and then I'm like I can just do this for the rest of my life and I I can (laughs) but then my I had two classes left, so I thought over the years it's always kind of been in the back of my head, and I said, you know what, I'm gonna just I'm gonna finish it. So I'm going back one class at a time, one this semester and one in the fall, and I should be done. Fingers crossed. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to complete. The class things. I think is the same, so it kind of sucks, but mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Were you? Do you think in the back of your mind you were like gonna wait them out to see if they change? I was waiting for him to retire. 
You're supposed to retire the year it's I did it. It's a professor? It's a specific <laughs> yeah. professor? He's kind, of the, he's kind of the problem. <laughs> oh, but okay. he's not teaching the course this time. So, yeah. He was supposed to retire five years ago. And then he said, maybe in five years. So, I'm, <laughs> I'm almost there. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I but hope yeah. it goes well for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Simone, what did you do? Um, I was, I was struggling. I feel like I didn't really do a whole lot, but I, I'm making some changes in my life mm. right now. So I'm going through and doing the whole decluttering thing and really trying to throw things away. I'm not sort of doing the hold everything in your hand and see how, what emotions I'm not doing that because mm. that seems a what, crazy. What is that a reference to? What do you to? mean? Like hoarders? It's the Marie Kondo, um, the book that she said, I forget what the it's called. because magic of tidying up or something. That's the one where you sort of take every object and you hold it in your hand and you wait for it to speak to you or something. And then if you have a feeling, you keep it. And if you don't have any feelings, you throw it away. Mm-hmm. I'm more doing the type of, have I looked at this in the last six months or a year? And then if I'm not sure, I'm putting it in a box and putting it out of sight. And if I go and look for it, I'll keep it. And if I don't... It's getting. It's going to be donated or recycled. Huh. How long will you keep that box of things? Six months. Only six months. Yeah. Like, wow. what do you need? Like, oftentimes, if you really need something, you'll go and buy mm. it again. Really. And what do I have? Everything mm. that I need. Mm. And then I'm also trying to uh, not use plastic products. So I'm starting to amass like glass jars and do stuff like that because it's really annoying. It's amazing how hard it is, and takeaway is, is the worst. I order a lot of takeaway, but there's like the styrofoam as well. Uh, yeah. Takeaway yeah. take sounds like a very European way. Yeah. To say takeout. I took a dot. Yeah. How do you say takeaway? Takeaway. I, I got it from the Australians. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> Wait, what do you think about the straw situation though? Oh, you guys have straw. Like I think those, it's stupid. Um, do you have metal straws though? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've had mine for about two years. Now. Really? And you yeah. use them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Do you wash them? Early adopter. Like, do you just put them in the dishwasher? Uh, well, if I had a dishwasher. Oh, okay. Um, I just give them to the housemaid. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you just got them those little brushes that kind of. Oh, they come with brushes. Goes okay. Down there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I've started to take a glass jar with me to work, a mason jar. If I go and get a smoothie, I get them to put it in that. Yeah. Why do we need to use straws at all? Oh. Well, when you have a beard, it's pretty useful. (laughs) Funny thing, when I was in Mexico, (laughs) first day we were ordering banana daiquiris, and they're giving them with straws. And then the next day, they're like, yeah, we're not giving straws out anymore for environmental reasons. And we're like, oh, okay. Trying to drink like a banana daiquiri Mm -hmm. in the pool with like... (laughs) I could do it. (laughs) No straw is really hard. Like it would, it would like you get to the I point wish you guys and then it would just smash into your face. Cause you know how mm-hmm. like frozen drinks, yeah. you, you got to shake them up all the oh, time yeah. or otherwise oh. they'll just, so you pour it in the right in your face. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's not good. I don't think I've ever been to a restaurant and had water with the ice in the glass and not had a point where the ice falls back and water goes right down my chest. I always ask for no ice. Mm. I think just business, for that? Yeah, businesses must hate it because they have to give you a full glass rather than, uh, you know, stubbing it full of ice, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. Well, that's fun. That's, that's like my pop ed minute, right? About you did. Pop, about straws. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, so we have a guest today. We're very excited to welcome him. Um, and Andy Randell is here. He is a professional geologist, and he works to bring change to the mineral exploration industry. He's got a consulting business, SGDS Hive, that takes on graduate geoscientists and mentors them through uh, a variety of exploration projects to educate the next generation of geologists. Welcome, Andy. Thank you. That's impressive. You're a very impressive person. I went. I've I've sh- I've shortened the bio so because I, I hope we can kind of go through all the things that you that you're involved in and that you do. But it's very exciting. I mean, um, I guess when I sort of think about the mineral exploration industry, you you've sort of carved out this little niche about to just sort of focus on mentorship and the next generation and, and working like, working with young people. And did you do that on purpose? Like, what was sort of the reason that you did that and didn't just go work for an exploration company like everyone else? Well, I mean, I've done my years with working with big exploration companies, and that's how I, you know, got the experience that I, I got, you know, to where I am today. 
Um, I think a lot of it goes back to when I was at university. I graduated. There were no careers fairs. There were no people from the industry that came in and spoke to me. And you kind of feel a bit lost. You, you're, hey, I've graduated, and here's all this debt. Now, how do I go pay it off? And what mm-hmm. do I want to do? Um, you know, I specialized in dinosaurs as opposed to minerals, which is really cool. But, you know, I, there's no paycheck there. <laughs> <laughs> well, ask Ross Geller. I feel like he made a lovely paycheck. There, there's no paycheck in there is, mineral yeah. exploration either. Well, really. sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, so, you know, like I um, I was always keen when I would work with big companies and we'd get students come on. That's, you know, that's the bulk of the workforce. But then you'd see them tasked with one job and that would be their job for the entire summer. And they wouldn't know why they were doing it. Right. Or, you know, it's just like, hey, go pick soil samples or go and, you know, go tech this core. But nobody was taking the time really to go, this is why we're doing this and this is what you're seeing and stuff. And you know, there's there's some really good learning opportunities there. So you can put people through four or five years of that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you've got these guys that are four or five years of experience. And I'm using air quotes as I say that. Mm-hmm. And suddenly they're running projects. But they right. don't really have why they're doing things. So there was a few scary examples <laughs> I've kind of come across. And I was like, okay, this is my opportunity to to do this. And it's... It's something the universities are asking for. It's something the students are asking for. And it was something I think the industry needs, but wasn't really doing it in-house that well. Um, and so, you know, we put people through, I'm not going to call them schemes. There's not like set schemes or anything, but, you know, that kind of that kind of training, whatever project we can do, we train them up. And then they go out into the workforce and they become a better employee for the companies that they mm-hmm. work for. So can you, t- so your company, are you doing, are you running um, projects for other mineral exploration companies? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it can be, you know, like we've done everything from data input. Like we, we had a company that was based down in Nevada that shipped us, I don't know, maybe four or five boxes just filled with old logs, handwritten draw logs. And, you know, we put that stuff together and that's a great kind of mini six week long project project. You get to teach people about draw logging, what all the things are that are on there, you know, that, you know, what does it mean? It's not a long-term thing, but it helps that company out. It's a way to access some student labor. These kids can do this while they're at school, even like, you know, between classes, they can do it in the evenings and fit it around their time. It's totally flexible. Then you go to the other end where we're literally running grassroots exploration projects and drill programs right. and doing everything, you know, the staffing, the project management, budget building. Mm-hmm news releases, presentations, wow. like, you know, and we're getting people involved on all those different aspects. We get geos that come in that, uh, you know, they go through university, everybody does the same courses, but they start to, you know, most geologists tend to evolve into a particular role that they like. And we're getting some people there, you know, they're great geos, but they actually go, wow, the investment side of this is really cool. Mm-hmm. So how can I get more exposed to that? So, you know, we've got people, we're teaching them how to do letter writing, we're teaching them how to, you know, right. to do that. And, you know, that, again, that's something else that I think the industry needs because, the next generation's coming in is a lot more tech savvy. I kind of sit myself somewhere in the middle. I've, you know, I'm 41 years old, so I'm kind of, I know how to use Twitter. I don't like it, but I can use it. But these kids that come up and they're like, do, 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 on their phones and yeah. it's out there. So, yeah. How do you find the time to train them in all those things or give them that sort of experience? It's, so I get this question a lot from companies and it's not hard. They're doing the job anyway. Like, you know, you give the people the tools and you kind of let them run with it a lot of the time. So, you know, most of it's informal. Most of it's standing with them if they've got questions going through and it's so that show them a technique and, you know, let them ask the questions, be there, be present for them and, and you know, go through the experience with them. Um, other times we do more formal stuff. Like we've just, um, we actually paid for a, a series of unique um, First Nations sensitivity training that mm-hmm. we did as webcasts oh, and cool. uh, or webinars, sorry, I should say. So we've got them recorded and we, all our staff went through it. So, you know, I... It was three hours mm-hmm. spread over, you know, one hour sessions over three weeks. It was actually Lana Eagle that did that for us. Cool. So, you know, really fantastic stuff. And again, it's, we're a small company, you know, we're not tech, we're not gold corp, but I look at the in-house training that we do and it's kind of different. It's kind of unique, you know, and geology, this is something I've really realized over the last few years is that geology isn't, you know, as a geologist, you're not a geologist anymore. Those days are gone. You know, it used to be that 10 years ago, you'd walk into a company, you'd do geology, you'd have somebody else there to do health and safety, you'd have somebody else there to do environmental, somebody else to do permitting. The money's not there anymore for that. So, you know, a geology company needs geologists. Mm-hmm. Some CEOs would disagree. 
Mm. Um, but, you know, so the geologists are the core staff, but now they're having to do all these different roles as well. So, you know, we've I've got one group out in the field right now that are collecting moss samples from across a mountainside so that we can do a baseline environmental survey, but also looking at these different species that grow in some like lead-rich waters, some like zinc-rich, so we can use them as a mapping tool as well. So we're looking at some new technologies and some new ideas and playing with stuff. And luckily, a lot of our clients are really open to that because they see it as part of their social licensing as well. Mm -hmm. They can say that we're doing this stuff. It's good community relations. It's good uh, good investment on that front. So yeah, like it's it's gone beyond just the hiring a geological crew that can go out and do soil sampling. Like you know, we're starting to get more and more involved in kind of whole project scenarios mm -hmm. so we still like the small projects like the little things that come in um you know we have a lot of good solutions for those we're working with a lot of other companies especially providers like geochemists metallurgists we're actually developing some new techniques with those guys as well and a lot of it's driven because these kids are coming out of university and they're going oh have you heard about this this is something i got taught and it's not being passed on to the industry because yeah. the industry doesn't listen to the universities the universities doesn't listen to the industry a lot of the time and you know it's it's crazy there's I mean, uh, the other thing as well that we found is um, using students, undergrads, and bring them out onto site to do mapping, that they can then take that data away and use as an undergrad thesis. Universities have huge resources for geochemistry, for age dating and stuff like that. Normally that you would go and you'd pay thousands of dollars for. Mm -hmm. These kids will get it done in their departments for free mm -hmm. and share the information with you. So it's like a real two-way street that you can open up here. Hmm. Is that sort of where this industry the mineral exploration industry but industry in general is going it's it's really about sort of taking advantage of or building those connections to to places and finding ways to do it a little bit more cheaper or or leveraging kind of maybe does that make sense you know what i'm trying to say i think i see where you're going yeah i mean it, <laughs> it would be nice if it was like that yeah. what, what i'm finding a lot is that the science has gone out the industry um, you know, it's about producing results and it's about getting results and it's investors want to see drills turning and all that. If you don't do the baby steps and go through the soil sampling and the mapping and everything like that, then you can't necessarily be successful. You can be lucky, mm -hmm. but can you be successful? It's yeah. almost like, I feel like the mineral exploration industry, um, it, it's a long game, but people play it or want to play it as a short game. Yeah, totally. People want to put money in. They want to see some good drill results and they want to get a return on their money in a year or two. Mm -hmm. Building a mine is like a mortgage. It's a, it's a 20, 25 year investment. And, and high risk. High risk. Oh, super <laughs> high risk. I think the, st I mean, I've, I've heard lots of different stats for it, but the one that I like is one in 10,000 sites actually becomes a mine. Yeah. And high risk in terms of investment or return on investment, not any. Yeah. That, just to be clear that that's what we're talking yeah, about. For yeah, for sure, yeah. And, you know, and, and you know, one of the things that we developed this year, um, well, last year, this year, uh, we worked with a lab um, to do some real early stage metallurgy. So one of the things that you do as a geologist is you, you pull the rock out the ground. It's got some great numbers in it, got some good results, got some, some minerals. And a company will often then just go drill, 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 four years, five years before they start building what we call a resource to know how much there is in there, if there could be a mine. Um, that's great, but you could do that four or five years, spend, you know, 10, 15, $30 million on that program and then get to that resource point and you can't recover the gold. Like the, the minerals are so bad mm -hmm. that the recovery is so low. You need to put a huge amount of energy into recovering this. So we're like, well, why don't we do that in the first year? You know, if we've got some good results, it's not the ideal thing, but it's a good kind of acid test of the, uh, of the, of the situation. So we did it for a project that was in a particularly sticky kind of environmental area, First Nations area. It was going to be a lot of energy for the company to pursue it if we wanted to. So we did this program. We actually built it with SGS. I worked closely with those guys, with the students as well, to build this project up. We did a few experimental runs. And we found out that this project had really high recoveries, like 98%, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, so now we can go back to the, the client and say, this is worth pursuing, but we can also go back to First Nations, we can go back to the environmental groups and say, this isn't just going to be us building roads and drilling stuff and then leaving it in a mess and not finding anything. Like, there is some potential here. There's some hard science that we've done right. that proves that. And so the investors are going to be happier as well because they're not throwing money against a project that in four years' time is going to turn out to be kind of dead. Mm -hmm. Can I bring it back to what it is that you love about rocks? <laughs> Why? Why rocks? I, I like the outdoors. Like I was 
I was, I grew up on an island off the south coast of England and, you know, my grandfather would take me out hiking all the time. And that's how I got into dinosaurs because, you know, the Isle of Wight is where I'm from and it's called Dinosaur Island locally mm-hmm. because of all the dinosaur fossils that wash out on the beach. Um, so we'd go along and we'd be picking up fossils and, you know, it was really cool. So even, even from being like three or four years old, I would be walked, you know, 10 miles, like, you know. I don't know how many kilometers that is, 16 kilometers maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> quick conversion. I should know that now. Um, so yeah, I mean it, that every rock tells a story and that's what I love about it. And I love unpicking that story. And when you've got a whole bunch of different rocks from one site, it's, it's like, it's like a, you know, a 40, 50 million year old story that just unfolds in front of you. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think I like getting into the real fine detail like, give me a rock and I'll get everything I can out of it. I'll get all the chemistry of it. I'll get all the different phases, all the things that have happened to it. I love illustrating. I love drawing as well. It's like one of my kind of dirty little secrets that people don't really necessarily know about me. And cake making. And cake making. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, I, another thing that I do for the educational thing is I'll take some quite complex texts, maybe um, like this site that we're working on right now, has a lot of volcanic rocks on it like sediment like stuff that's erupted and then being deposited in water and trying to explain that concept to people and read it out and these really wordy pdf documents that are out there they're like 30 pages long don't mean anything mm. so i just draw i just draw it you know mm-hmm. i kind of make these little nice little models and stuff and draw it out for people and it makes more sense visual i'm a very visual person i find that people learn better that way as well do you ever lick rocks absolutely what is that <laughs> yeah what is that <laughs> Uh, it's a good test for how the, the grain size of the rocks so how big all the little, especially in sedimentary rocks, like how big all the little grains are in there. So if it's kind of smooth and silky, it's like a clay. If it's a bit gritty, it's probably a sand or a silt. So if it's breaking your teeth, it's a cobble. Can you just use your finger for that? Uh, no, no, nah. You, you must use it. your tongue. You and must. You, you can, it's kind of weird as well, actually. You do get a little bit of a taste for the different kinds of sulfides as well. So the actual, the ones that mineralize, you know, it's like how, how much like a rotten egg do they taste like? So. Oh my God. <laughs> You're like a rock sommelier. <laughs> it's so true. Oh my gosh. That's my, what you should call my yourself. New, my new tagline. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Put that on LinkedIn. Yeah. Rock sommelier. <laughs> That's so great. So I know when I, um, I've only been working in the, in, in the industry for just a few years but when i first came we there was a lot of talk about prospectors mm-hmm. and whenever someone would describe a prospector it's very much that yosemite sam type the guy with the pickaxe and he goes out in the dirt and digs it all up and what is it is it the christmas movie with the snowman and the or the abominable snow abominable yukon cornelius yukon cornelius yeah. <laughs> he's a prospector right what movie is that? You know, uh, Silver Rudolph, Rudolph. Rudolph. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. That's it. So that guy. Also, just save everybody from your singing. There. There <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Another fun fact, Andy actually has a really nice singing voice. Oh, well, let's try that later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the prospector, mm-hmm. does that does that role still exist? Are there guys out there still, or I shouldn't say guys, are there people out there still sort of prospecting on that level? And what's the difference between them and like a geologist? Aren't they all doing the same thing? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're all prospectors. I, I think the the, the 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 differentiation is kind of limited sometimes. Like, uh, I if I was to say, I mean, I you know, hopefully there's, I don't offend anybody with this, but I find prospectors are maybe the ones that haven't gone through the full university education. Sure, they're kind of self taught, hand you know, kind of been handed down that kind of stuff. You know, the, the, whereas a geologist is more somebody that maybe has gone out and had a formal education for it. But then there's so much crossover, like. I also think that sometimes prospecting is more these days is kind of tied to surface mining. So things like you see on the discovery show where they're panning gold and that kind of stuff. Yukon Yukon gold. gold. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a good question actually. I mean, I don't think there's a really strong definition between the two. So, yeah. I think people were sort of talking about like, it's a, it's almost like a dying art prospecting, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's the art versus the science aspect of, yeah, and I think maybe as well, geologists, like, we can be put into different things. So it's, like, from prospecting, which is going out, being dumped on a mountain and finding stuff, mm-hmm. as opposed to a mine geologist that's going to go onto a site where they already know what's there and they're going to actually kind of work out how to get the stuff out of the ground. So, I mean, prospecting really is just, like, the early, early stage is the right. going out green, you know, greenfields exploration, I guess we would call it. In, uh, which I, means? It's a big green field. 
No, it's <laughs> well, kind of, I guess. Yeah, no, it's like nobody's been there before. Like yeah. it's, uh, you it's untouched, know, virgin on, land. Virgin land. That's yeah. it. There's not much of that left anymore. Like yeah. you actually go to places, and um, you know, like these some of these sites we work on, we call them greenfields. But then you look through the history, and you know, the 1890s, early 1900s, people have been out there, and you still find artifacts all over the place. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, somebody's been here before, you know. So, but I guess, but technology, right? It's kind of I've heard someone sort of say. Everything that's sort of been found kind of has been found. So it's about going deeper or finding new ways to find things or taking what was sort of left yeah. and figuring and having the resources to make that something. One, you've got to think about the kind of operations that, you know, you know, a hundred years ago, they would have to go for the real high grade vein. They would have horses that would get it out of there. And, you know, so they would only go after the really good stuff because that's what would pay them. Um, nowadays we have mills, we have the refining technology to really kind of go for the much, much lower grade stuff and we can pull that out of the ground. But I wouldn't say that all the discoveries are made. Um, you know, the earth is constantly regenerating. We've just got all the stuff that's there now. <laughs> the easily accessible stuff. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we can go deeper, you know, those kind of things, but it's then it's the economics that stop it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there's a lot of places I've been where you get some, you know, beautiful big veins with visible gold in them. But if there's only one vein, it's not economic. It doesn't mean to say that it's not worth digging up. If you were a guy on your own 100 years ago, you would absolutely chase that vein out. Yeah. Where do you want the industry to go in your career? Um, I want it to keep going. Yeah. I, you know, I wanted to see, I want to see investment in technology. I think we need to get smarter with it. Um, I would love to see a little bit more disconnect somehow between investment and actual the science. Like I, I, some, I, the investment is one of those things we can't live without. It's not a self-funded science trip, mm-hmm. but I find sometimes that the investment can really steer something, you know, it, it, it steers it not necessarily in a way that I would want it to go. Like it can, you accelerate things that need not to be accelerated. It's the short term yeah, play. Exactly. And obviously education, um, I, we need to be more environmentally conscious. We need to be better with First Nations. Um, I actually think, you know, the mining industry is probably one of the best industries out there for First Nations relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at some of the other industries out there, natural resources, we're working on the surface, on the land. And I think we probably have better relationships even than like councils do, city councils putting roads through. And, you know, it's, it's we've had to work for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't always get it right. Um, there's always a lot of public backlash about mining projects. Um, and I think that's changing. Like people are starting to see that, uh, you know, if it's not farmed, it's mined as one of the, you know, mm-hmm. the old terms. And it's pretty true. You know, I like standing up in front of a class and saying, okay, you can name me something that hasn't involved a geologist at some point and I'll give you a free pass on the class. And people come up with really smart answers, but you can always find something in there that's, uh, you know, that, that used geologists at some point. So mm. I think it's been really interesting because I think one of the disconnects, too, is people don't really understand the impact that mining and exploration have had on their everyday lives. You know, every, yep. the computers and the bicycles and all of the things that we use and that we rely on every day that we would not ever stop using. No. You can't have. And, and you've got technology booms and you've got a growing population and everybody wants, it doesn't matter, you, you can be a very kind of in your bubble, in our little bubble in Vancouver or a little bubble in BC or in Canada, and you're not really thinking about these, you know, these millions of people that are in Africa that are coming online or the millions of people that are in China or India that are starting to come out of poverty. And, you know, the new, you know, the, the old basics used to be food and water. Now it's, you know, having access to power and having access to a cell phone. Right. And so that stuff's got to come from somewhere. And I would rather work in an industry where that metal, that lithium or that copper is ethically produced rather than it becoming like the old blood diamonds where it's mm. done under, you know slightly less than great conditions so and does that mean that it needs to be produced in a first world country i guess not necessarily i just think that that it's still a term that's used yeah yeah i guess so western developed yeah developed i don't know okay it sounds horribly colonial i tend to steer away from those kind of things especially being british okay well let's say canada (laughs) canada yeah i mean you know i think canada maybe has more of the infrastructure and the setup to do that doesn't always have the willpower to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do find, you know, Canadian companies are all over the world. You know, there's Canadian companies everywhere. And it's very easy for a Canadian company to slip into the local regime as opposed to uphold, you know, the Canadian standards. And, you know, I think that's something that companies need to start doing is, you know, it's cheaper to operate in those, com- in those countries. So you should be able to 
invest more into that kind of you know more ethical you know right. training or health and safety or I've heard basic stuff that that can get tricky though um with like local governments and you oftentimes you have like you're paying the government directly or yeah. it's like it's and then you also have standards of living so if you raise that standard of living or for a specific population, then yeah. it's like you can't do that, that causes conflict and yeah, you've got to work within what the local economy is. I mean, you know, I worked in South America for a long time, and I would look at what we were paying there, and we were paying the guys a good wage for local wage, but it was maybe fifteen times less than what we would pay somebody the equivalent job mm. in in Canada. But you're right, you couldn't go and pay somebody in a small village in Guyana. $300 a day because that's kind of what they would make in six months normally, right. you know, so it's, uh, yeah. Can I just, have you, did you work in Guyana? I did. Yeah. My family's from Guyana. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. From Georgetown. Yeah. And yeah. So it's, and it's, it's pretty greatly undeveloped. Yes. Yeah. Georgetown's actually fantastic. I always say it's a project from my twenties. I don't know if I could go back in my forties now and do what I used to do over there, but mm. it's, uh, it's an incredible, have you been over there? No. Oh, it's, it's stunning. It's it's a yeah. it's a fantastic place. Like it's definitely got its rough edges, but it's it's got that uh, Caribbean feel that it's just I love it. Like yeah. it's just a great culture. Yeah. yeah. So you would like it? To, you just you'd like the industry to just be better. Yeah. Be a good human. And be a good industry. We're going there, but it's like some people are real pioneers at it. Other mm -hmm. people are real dinosaurs with it, and they don't want to go. And really, I think that everybody should be moving at the same, mm. you know, towards the same goals. Because it only benefits everybody in the long run. You know, there's the hippie in me says we've only got one planet to live on, and that's quite true. Although I'm quite interested in asteroid mining as well. I think that'd be quite pretty yeah, cool. Be but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be space ready at any time soon. So. I don't know if this is the thing with most other industries, but do you find that in this industry you've got the these... Um, older... The, the older generation is a little bit more reluctant to sort of move on and and encourage the younger generation... Yeah, I don't tend to slam that though because there's a lot of um, th there is an element of that for sure. There's the there's also I think the bigger portion of that though is the guys that are in it just to make money. They're not really in it to you know they want to. It's that baby boomer thing that we all talk about all the time, yeah. you know. But I've had a lot of great mentors. Like you know, I've been really lucky that I you know, and a lot of these older guys are interested to talk and i say guys because most of them are guys there's not a lot mm -hmm. of older women in the industry women's right. a relatively new thing um so you know but um the knowledge that they have is great and also some of the skills that they have are what i find are dying so you know one of my big uh, bugbears is that you'll send people out in the field they'll collect information they'll type it up into a spreadsheet and send it to you and that's all they do like they can't produce a map they can't handle a map i make all my guys handle their maps mm. like you know it's a dying art, but that's it, yeah. what that's what my my dad's a geologist, and that's what he loves Love mapping. It. It's yeah. his passion, and he doesn't get to do enough of it no. now because it's just yeah, it's all computers. It's not what makes money, yeah. and you you've got to be intimate with the information that you've got. You you know you if you're just uploading it into a computer, you don't really get a feel for it. You've got to actually look at it. So you mm -hmm. know, yeah, it's. That, and that, those are some of the older things that, you know, but at the same time, the older generation is like, ah, computers can't use that. We're in a digital age. Everything's got to be digital. You know, mm -hmm. you've just got to learn to do both of them. Find the balance. Can, sorry, to bring it back again, because um, I'm not sure how many people actually know much about the mineral exploration mm -hmm. industry. What is the cycle? So, like, you, we touched on prospector and, like, the traditional role of the prospector is to, like, find the potential deposit, I guess, and then they they sell those claims, they stake claims, they find the potential deposit, they sell those claims to a mineral ex junior exploration company that gets its money from investors. Yep. And then they develop it to a point that's kind of sexy and exciting. And then a big company will come in and acquire it or they'll like partner or am I, am I explaining? Pretty, I mean, pretty much. That's yeah. Pretty it's like upselling each time, you know, it's like, it's like flipping a house, mm -hmm. you know, you start off with a plot of land, you build a house that's nice. Somebody lives in it for a little while and then, you know, somebody comes and renovates it, sells it for more and it keeps passing on that way. Mm -hmm. You know, Vancouver real estate and mineral exploration, not so different. So yeah. <laughs> but more consultation in mineral exploration. Yeah. A lot more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was just going to, I wanted to get into, um, the, the, the way people view the industry, mm -hmm. right. Is, is, it's kind of is negative. And I wondered if you had ever, um, considered that backlash before, before you're going into mm. it or did it st sort of stop you from doing getting into it i guess yeah, i've always loved geology like it was there was no other career option for me really like it's 
it's been what I always wanted to do. So I'm, I'm, you know, embrace it. Happy as a pig in mud yeah. right now. So yeah. Um, but you're right. No, I mean, it's like it's a little bit like the meat industry. Like you know, nobody really wants to think about the cow where that burger comes from, but people love beef. Yeah. So you know, it's yeah. that is that that same kind of disconnect. So it's it seems to be. And I know a lot of people sort of when you when you say mining, a lot of people have almost a visceral reaction, it's like oh, that's negative. But we've we've really equated it to a ton of different industries just in this in this podcast alone right we've talked about meat and natural resources and all those things so um but it just has such a such a negative connotation to it and you know like i definitely fall firmly onto the minerals exploration side now the oil and gas side i have probably a bit of an opposite view to that like i think that oil and gas we should be stepping back from i wish that we could see the same level of investment into renewable resources as we do into building pipelines like you know was it five billion dollars or whatever the, the canadian government just spent for that I can't even imagine to think what kind of research we could have done with that. But even if we switch to a green economy, we're still going to need more lithium. We're going to need all the metals and stuff like that to do it. So you're really like, even if you wanted to switch overnight to a green economy, you would have to, yeah. Well, and like everything else is about being educated about the different, uh, about the different elements as, as it mm. were. Do you find that, do, are you willing to talk about what you do to anybody is, and including people who have a negative view of the industry? Yeah, I mean, so one of the things I run is a non-profit educational called Below BC. Um, and, you know, that is, we, we're public facing and we're one of the few people I think that are brave enough to go out and do it. We'll have a table full of rocks. You know, we tend to find other fossils of the draw, but people with, you know, like you have all the nice big shiny, you know, this is what copper looks like when it's in the ground and this is how we have to get it. And you get people that stand there and they say, oh, you know, it's terrible what you're doing, you're ruining the environment. I'm like, well let's talk about that pair of gold earrings that you've got on. Like, where do you think the gold came from? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, it's from my grandmother. Okay. <laughs> Smart. <Yeah. laughs> but, uh, you know, but, you know, at some point that came from the ground. And when you actually start to realize and tell them how much rock you have to move to get that small amount of gold, and then you say to them, like, that's just that one pair of earrings you got. How many pair of earrings you got? What other jewelry do you have? Mm -hmm. How much does in your home, like copper and all the other things? I mean, I think it was... Is on the average, the average Canadian house has something like eight tons of gypsum in it. Right. And that's all your drywall. Yeah. That's all the drywall you've got going on. Well, it, has to be, it has to be mined. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like that's one of you. Everybody looks at electronics, but there's all this other stuff that we get out the ground as well. And, you know, it's crazy. It's yeah. I so I have a, I was asked a question, this question, and I can't answer it because I don't actually do. I'm not a geologist, but it was someone in the forestry industry, which I think is really interesting how different natural resource industries think it seems like mostly negative things about the other natural resource industries, but, um, or sectors, I guess. Yep. But, um, this gentleman asked me, like, does it not feel conflicting to go out and try and find a deposit when I know like ultimately if it's, if it's a good enough deposit, it's going to ruin the land. And I, I couldn't answer that. So do you have an answer for this gentleman? I, love scenery i love mountains and the last thing i want to do is see a giant hole in that mountain so i make sure that when i advise a client or take a project on or advance it or something that i make sure that there's something there worth chasing i don't want to i you know i'm kind of there's this opinion that if you're a geologist you want to see a big hole in the ground and you know that's what some people do as an exploration geologist like i mentioned earlier there's a 20 25 year expectancy on before you turn a project around i'm probably not going to be part of that i like greenfield stuff like the early stage as soon as you bring an engineer on site i'm like bye-bye you're doing math i'm out of here yeah. <laughs> so you know so it there is most people that i know now get into geology because they love the outdoors and it's so much better to be inside affecting change rather than being outside and being negative about it. And that's what I try and that's what I try and do with Hive. Like why stand on the sidelines and go, this is terrible. This is horrible. This is, there should be more education. We should be teaching more green stuff. We should be listening to First Nations. It's much better to be your own company and be inside it and go, okay, well, here we go. We're going to use, you know, the, the profits, most of the profits that we make from the company we reinvest into training and building training courses and stuff so we're not we're not in it for the money we're in it to try and build a better you know generation of geologists that are going to go out there and maybe a little bit more sensitive to the public because you rock how long have you been waiting to say that one <laughs> a long i'm not even sure i want to time. bring attention to that one <laughs> Oh my god. That's like a Sesame Street level joke right there. She's like waiting. <laughs> and she's so pleased with herself right now. Look at her. 
<laughs> Adam's face, nostrils are flared. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> it's crazy. I, well, in the um, in the bio too, I'd written like he's a rock star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that was very good. So many good. Yeah, that's the other thing that geologists are really good at is puns. Puns. He's a nice guy. Might not get that one. Well, that's G N E I S S. That's it. Well done. Yeah. I know something, but what is a nice? <laughs> it's a really metamorphosed rock, like deeply buried, heated. Think like kind of plastic. Think like when they pull taffy and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Geologists are funny. Yeah. Or, or if you like funny, that sense of humor. Funny haha or funny weird. Kind of a bit both. of both. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely both. <laughs> I want to talk about how like you're an entrepreneur and you're yeah. an innovator in Thanks. all of the ways. <laughs> it's funny, like, yeah. <laughs> I guess, I, it, but it, so I'm trained as a geologist. Like I do geology, I know rocks, but I did have, you know, a little blip in my career, which, you know, I always say to people, if you can't work in geology, just go out and do the best thing that you can and, mm. you know, do it well. So I did a little turn in retail management. And so I got a lot of management skills. I used to manage the flagship store. Of, it's called B&Q in Edinburgh, which is basically the same as Home Depot. So you wear the orange vest and oh. everything. Oh, nice. So I was like a shift manager there. So I had like, you know, it was a hundred square foot, hundred thousand square foot warehouse filled with stuff that I have no idea. I have no, I'm terrible with power tools. I have no idea, but I could sell them. <laughs> right. You know, and I'd have all the stuff, but that's great. Like I learned management, learned budgeting, learned, you know, how to do all that kind of stuff. Um, I worked in the software industry for a while, um, which was kind of really good to learn about infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And then I worked in the financial markets and I actually became a qualified financial advisor in the UK because not that I wanted to, but because the courses were on offer. And so I did them mm. uh, through the company and, left as soon as the geology job came up because that's what I wanted to get back into so you know I always say that to everybody when they're like oh I can't get a geology job go do something else it's everything's a life skill like just make sure that you've got geology in the back of your mind all the time you want to come back to so that's I mean those those are some skills that I wouldn't have had when I left university but starting a business is really good fun it's really hard it's not easy because there's no, I mean, there's some great resources in BC. Um, mm-hmm. Small business BC is fantastic. Yeah. Shout out to them guys. Um, but, um, you know, it's, uh, you have to learn a lot of stuff yourself, especially when it comes to the taxation, the legal stuff. And you get to a point when, you know, two years ago I was working in my back bedroom and it was just me. And now I'm looking at expanding my office for the third time and bringing on two more staff. And I've had to go, I, I have a lawyer now. I have an accountant. Like, mm-hmm. how crazy is that shit? That's really good. I think I'm adulting should... hard right now. <laughs> they t- yeah. <laughs> you, they say it takes like minimum three years yeah. for a business to really and it has, get there. It's so. definitely that. Yeah. Mm. Like it's definitely three. Because people are kind of learning as they go. Would you say starting a business is a little more forgiving than people might, might at first think it is? I think people sort of the biggest fear, right? Is that they're going to fail. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's, it's being sensible. I mean, I, I, I actually did this without any debt, like, which is crazy. And, and it's not a rich thing. Like, I'm not a rich guy. I started with, when I was laid off, $120. Mm-hmm. And that's when I went and registered the business name and all that stuff and set up a website, like a real basic thing. Went on, did the create my own free website kind of mm-hmm. thing. And then sat back. And my first client was the company that laid me off, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then, you know, you just take it steady. Like, it's it's very easy to want to rush it and to be successful right off. And that's not how it's going to be. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know anybody that's got there. But I'm finding now there's there's other little consultancies. There's a little business out there like Precision Petrographics. They just started up about six months ago. They started in Langley. I went up to their warehouse yesterday. They've got amazing setup. Like, amazing. Absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. And... Those are the kind of people I want to support. It's a young young couple that works it, and you know they're doing a really good job and support industry. So, but they're also learning, same as I did. You know, you make some fuck ups along the way, yep. and you kind. Of, am I allowed to swear on this? Yes. yes. Oh God, it's God explicit. for that. Yeah. No, just, we should have told so, you at the beginning. Sorry. It's really hard for a Brit not to swear every other word. So thank Tell you. Tell me about it. I'll Simone t- has been really good today. Yeah. I know. I've only said. Not even. No. <laughs> well, now I, it's floodgates are open. Gloves off. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Put your kids to bed. We're getting to real now. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, starting your own business is, 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 it, it goes back to wanting to be the change rather than stand on the outside and right. do it. And if you believe enough in it, then just go with it. It's fun. It's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of stress, but it's a lot of fun. I want to talk about, but I don't know if it's relevant, but I want to talk about relationships in the sense of, um, 
and I don't know that many people actually would know this outside of the industry it, that like when you have to when your job is to leave and I think it's better now but when your job is to leave home for four to six weeks at a time for like five months or six months of the year and sometimes the whole year it's hard on mm-hmm. and a lot of people who are tr- entering the industry or 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 considering it don't consider it because of that piece of it. it it's funny. And like there's internet and camp yeah, and everything, yeah. but like that also has its downfalls because you've got like your disconnect and yeah. Well, it, it, it's actually interesting. There's been some recent psychological surveys, um, not based around the mining industry, but general. Um, like at way work or whatever. Uh, well, it's kind of based on uh, the new generation of people that they've never not had cell phones. They've never not had mm. the internet. So actually being without that is classed as a form of psychological torture. It's actually like a mental, it's actually like, it's, 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 an, they can't cope with it. They can't cope with the isolation. Wow. And so there's all these mental disorders that are get associated with it, with being isolated and, you know, anxiety and, and, you know, it goes off from there. So it's a real mental health kind of issue. So, you know, again, like a lot of people, if they're going to Roundup and they're talking to, you know, Roundup is the big mineral exploration uh, conference in yeah. Vancouver. Or any, I mean, any of the conferences or any of the companies, and they're talking to somebody who's 60 years old that's like, well, I go out in the field and, you know, yeah. I can be alone for six weeks. And, and that's probably putting them off. Whereas actually we have internet, you know, sometimes yeah. it doesn't always work. You might go down for a couple of hours, and, you know. <laughs> weather it's kind of exciting you have to talk to people at that point you know (laughs) this is like we yeah i just met somebody on one of andy's projects and he was talking about how like the internet went down for like a half day and so he's like so i had to read my books he's like i guess that's not so bad and i'm like (laughs) such a hard life (laughs) but no it's, it's true i mean and that's another one of those things that we have to take into account is that the technology is evolving so quickly that you know the generation below me, the people that, you know, they're totally different technologically than I am. And there's even a wider gap between me and the generation before me, you know, so it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we have to provide in the field. So yeah, it is difficult to be away, but you can also still have that connection. You know, you just have to modify it to being, you know, WhatsApp. I've recently discovered that. Isn't it awesome? WhatsApp? WhatsApp, yes. yeah. I know. It's like, oh, I can like have a normal conversation with people in camp. It's great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, it, it's... Uh, there's definitely ways and means of coping. Um, and it's not easy. It's not for everybody. You know, I'd say that one in ten people come out in the field and they crumble within a couple of weeks. And that's okay. Like, you're not going to know yeah. that you can't cope with it until till you do it. Because so. it's long days, too, and you're really isolated. Like, not... Like, physically as yeah. well as socially. Yeah. What yeah. is a day... What is a day at camp life? Like, what, is, what does that look like? Um, I mean, it varies, but most of the time you're up at six in the morning, breakfast, maybe a shower if you're lucky. You, you do... Good camps, you have a cook. Yeah. And that's the best part about that, being in yeah. the field is you have your, like, hot breakfast and hot dinner yeah. cooked for you. Yeah. Yeah, you go and get your breakfast. You normally then have a safety meeting and, like, a planning meeting for the day. Always, always a safety meeting. Planning, not so much sometimes. It's just a bit random. Um, and a lot of the time you're in a helicopter by 8 o'clock in the morning, um, off site somewhere, and then, you know, you might work till 4 in the afternoon, 5 in the evening, uh, back to camp for dinner. Um that's tends to be the way I run it. And then I make everybody get together in the evening as well, discuss their results, show and tell the rocks. Right. You know, kind of there's that swapping of information rather than everybody just going back to their tents and And there's this is the thing I didn't realize, but the all of all of the camps are dry. There's no alcohol in the camps, that's, even though you're there for like We try and keep it that way. Yeah. 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 And it's crazy. It, well, I mean, if you think about it, you got the isolation, you got the mental kind of uh pressure from that. Alcohol, drugs it yeah. exacerbates it, but it's also just not safe. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you can't drunk drive. You probably shouldn't be, you know, drunk hiking. Right. Or, you know, kind I of... I mean, don't <laughs> knock it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe a grouse grind kind of scenario is okay. Yeah. But yeah, That's no. definitely changed, though. Because, like, we used to have alcohol in camps. Like, especially big camps that were permanent. Like, not permanent, but, like, fa- fa- semi-permanent. Yeah. And- I mean, we've had, like end of season party type things or if there's been a special birthday or something like that. i don't drink like i gave up alcohol two years ago and not because i have a problem or anything it's just because i was working in dry camps all the time and i found that as i was getting older if i came out and drank i'd you know drunk off the sniff of a barmaid's apron so right. it was uh, you know it was just keep away from it so yeah, yeah. that's a great saying <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. have you ever had a bear run in lots yeah yeah 
Yeah, no, I... Uh, it's funny, like, that's another thing that we get. A lot of the kids that come into the field, the kids, the students. Yes. My employees yes. that come into the field. <laughs> my charges. Um, they are, you know, bear safety is obviously a big deal and we take it, we take it seriously. Um, you know, everybody goes into the field with bear spray and bear bells and we've got bear bangers and we have guns and we have all the, you know, the stuff that we need. But bears are kind of like dogs, especially black bears, I find. And if you come across one, generally... I mean, you don't mess with it, but you can generally tell. It's like being with a dog, and you can tell if that dog wants to rip your face off, or you can tell if that dog wants to have its belly rubbed. I've never met a bear yet once I have its belly rubbed, but you can normally back away from it, and it'll back away from you. Just a few you know, months ago, we were, I was um, out on an old mine site mm-hmm. with uh, one of my geos, and we walked around a corner, just as this bear walked around the corner as well, and I don't know who was more shocked, us or the bear. And we just, all, all of us just walked backwards yeah. away from it. So it was, and it's like, oh, it's so cute. It's like but your heart's dance. going like yeah. that. Yeah. And that was the point when, uh, when my geo realized why I keep the car doors open so yeah. that, you know, they're ready to get in. And he was like, oh, I was worried animals would get in while, you know, like and trash it. And mm. I'm like, yeah, no, it's easier for us to get in and Run away. get away from it. So, yeah. It's interesting. The industry is probably one of the most like safety, obviously so, but the most safety conscious to, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, as you said, like every day you have a safety meeting and yeah. Yeah, it's really important. And, you know, a lot of it's to educate people and a lot of it's also to cover your own ass. Yeah. So, you know, if people don't listen and yeah. then they have injuries, you need to be able to prove that you did. Mm-hmm. You you did your due diligence. Like but, you tried to. And it is, it's dangerous. It's not just, and it's not just animals, right? Yeah. Like it's a lot of helicopter safety yeah. and you're, and you are, you're out in the wilderness and people are yeah. on the side of a mountain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, weather can change. You get isolated, you get trapped. Like it's, it's thankfully it's fairly rare, you know, and especially with communications now where, you know, you can radio and say, Hey, the weather's changing and the helicopter can be there in 10 minutes or so and get you. So, you know, it's right. Yeah. It's changed so much. Like, again, I grew up with my dad going into the field and I like every summer it felt like he knew somebody who died in a helicopter crash Yeah, and it just like, that's not as common now. Like you don't hear of that as much. And the, and we suppress it. No, mm. I'm joking. <laughs> but there's an emphasis here. I think before yeah. it was like you had to tough it out because you're like yeah. the man in the field and yeah. you're like, and so like you weather the storm and things like that. Whereas now it's like, no, there's no nothing to gain by being like with, macho, ma- by being macho. It, yeah. It's a fun experiment to see how long people can last with stuff a lot of the time. But yeah, like, yeah, that kind of attitude is, that attitude's still there. Like mm. it is still there, but generally it's yeah, not as well received anymore safety first so on that note i just want to thank you annie for coming we've had a lot of great information and and learned a ton of stuff about mineral exploration and just sort of in general starting a business and just kind of doing it doing it yeah ronnie be the change be the change takeaway be a nice guy and be a good human that's our that's our like standard takeaway (laughs) be a good human people human yeah yeah so thank you very much thank you any last words from the booth um, have a great time out there, guys. <laughs> Be safe. Be safe. Be there safe. You go. Is there anything like you want people to find you on? Do you want to be found? Do you yeah, want- I mean, uh, you can find me on Instagram as SGDS Hive. You can find me on Facebook as SGDS Hive. And you can find me online as SGDFS-Hive.com. There so, you go. Yeah. Look come find up. me come talk to me we've also got a really cool office right next door to cotton's donuts and a cheesecake shop mm. so yeah. and andy will answer your questions he loves to answer questions so if you have any more questions even hard questions send them to andy Absolutely. not us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much you can also follow us we are at ronnie and we are on instagram at ronnie and simone whatever you guys That's it. you're already following us so. ronnie and simone Great. iTunes running. Fall fresh start. We're on it.